This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome you to our first roundtable session of the day. So the title for our session is Making a Successful Transition, What Do Future Faculty Need? We will be looking at sort of the more junior, actually before people become faculty um, in this roundtable. As has been um, mentioned earlier this morning, women and members of my minority groups are underrepresented among UC faculty, and maybe we could get um, just a couple of illustrating slides up. So um, this shows our own pipeline, not the national pipeline, but the first bar is the percent of female um, undergraduates. It's over 50%. By the time their graduate students were down just above 40%. This is UC-wide, all disciplines. And the percent of female faculty is um, just about 30%. So we have our own leaky pipeline. And um, the same is true for um, URM students and faculty. We System-wide, we have over 20% URM. Undergraduates, that falls to just over... 10% for graduate students, and then it's about 8% overall, all disciplines across the UC for um, URM faculty. So we, I'm sure we all know that there's many factors that contribute to the leaky pipeline, no matter how we look at it, and we're here today to discuss ways in which we can... Um, alter this trajectory, and specifically with respect to mentoring. And one of the questions for us is, can mentoring make a difference? And um, I just want to spend less than a minute to tell you about a mentoring program we have in graduate division for graduate students. Um, this is a program that we started for what we call SEED students, socioeconomically, educationally disadvantaged students, and these are our rates of retention. Hopefully this satisfies uh, Shirley Malcolm's um, way in which that we should look at this, whether we're retaining students. So the program started in 2010, and we're looking at how many graduate students we retain um, at the second year of graduate school. So it's varies, but um, has a mean over the past five years of about 82%. Um, in the mentoring program, these are students who are mentored um, the, after the first year of graduate school. 92% of the graduate students who were mentored were still here, and from the first year of the program, we followed them into their third year of graduate school, and 87.5% of them are still here. So we think that effective mentoring can actually be very effective, and given the underrepresentation of many of these students, any that we're able to retain and follow through to the dissertation and completion of it, we feel is a great success. So today, we're talk in this session, we're talking about the next level, which is for mentoring for postdocs, and we're talking about the UC Presidential Postdoctoral Fellowship Program, 
which as far as I know is the only system-wide program that we have which includes formal mentoring as a component of the program. And our first speaker will be Dr. Sheila O'Rourke, who directs the program, and she's going to talk about its purpose and successes, and then she's going to be followed by um, Dr. Desiree Whitmore, who's a current presidential postdoctoral fellow in chemistry at UC Berkeley, and then that will be followed by um, Dr. Roya Zandi, who is a former presidential postdoctoral fellow who's now a tenured associate professor in physics on the UCR campus. So if I could introduce Dr. Sheila O'Rourke. Thank you, um, and thank you for inviting me to speak here. Um, it's really been my privilege and pleasure to be the director of this fantastic program that's been supported uh, very substantially by the UC Office of the President over now almost 30 years. So uh, when we say, you know, we're not doing enough to support diversity, I think we do need to give some credit uh, that the Office of the President has maintained this program. And I also want to give President Udoff credit who, you know, in his waning tenure as our, as our president actually uh, committed a, a substantial amount of discretionary money uh, to help uh, boost the program's uh, um, support for STEM fellows next year. So um, I'm really pleased about that. Um, and most of you are familiar with the program. We provide two years of uh, postdoctoral support. Um, that is under the mentorship of a UC faculty member. And then we also provide an academic retreat and a, and a fall meeting where the fellows can uh, network with each other and uh, attend workshops on basic uh, career skills like how to write a grant, how to get published, um, how, to, how to prepare for your job search. Um, I think one of the f main ingredients of success actually reflects back on uh, Dr. Malcolm's uh, suggestion that mentoring is not enough if you're not actually making some institutional transformation. And I think some of the uh, the strength of this program is that the first thing we do is we recognize these scholars' contributions to diversity. So we actually select them based on what they bring um, to the university uh, to promote diversity in terms of their teaching, research, and service. And throughout the program and as they meet and interact with their peers and the faculty mentors, there is the substantive appreciation for the work that they're doing and what they bring to UC. Um, as, as Shirley mentioned uh, earlier, it, it is uh, the old one-to-one, -one, find a mentor and everything's hunky-dory uh, paradigm uh, is not something we follow either, that we're very much um, committed to looking at the wide range of mentoring needs for our fellows. Um, and I think first and foremost is a strong disciplinary engagement that I think the best mentoring happens around what we do best, which is our research. Um, to the extent that we can encourage fellows to network with other scholars around research areas of interest, that that helps them both build relationships and build the quality of their work at the same time. Um, we also, um, at our uh, professional development events, there's a, a lot of formal and, and informal interactions that I think um, building the social networks has been another real strength of the program. Um, that in some way we, ha we have 
We foster interdisciplinary networking that I think may not be the experience of many scholars who are coming up uh, to faculty careers. And we also provide an opportunity for both majority group scholars and minority group scholars to come together in this environment of mutual support. And so I think everyone's horizons are expanded through that process. Um, we also have had success using off-campus and, and online networks. There um, are several, uh, many uh, companies actually who are doing academic coaching now. Um, the uh, uh, Carrie Ann Rockamore is a really good resource. She has a national center for faculty diversity and development, and her um, work has been really helpful for many of our fellows. So we don't just focus on what we have here at UC, but we bring in, we encourage them to take advantage of outside um, resources as well. Um, so what do we get from all this? We have a wonderful, these are our results, a wonderful diverse group of scholars. Um, I'm really proud the program is about two-thirds women and two-thirds underrepresented minorities. Um, we also have a large group of Asian American um, scholars who in many, in many disciplines, um, Asians are underrepresented uh, as well, even though we don't include them in the general term of underrepresented minority. Um, and also, even in the sciences and engineering, Asian women are as underrepresented a as any other group. So that is a, a part of the program that I I'm really proud of. And I think the inclusion of our white scholars who are also really committed to careers and diversity, again, is a strength of the program. It fosters this uh, building broader networks and um, building support systems that cross group boundaries. Um, this, oh, the, the, just want to mention the distribution by field. Uh, we're about one-third social sciences, one-third humanities, and one-third STEM. And actually, with the president's funding, um, we've been able to increase the number of STEM fellows next year. So we're going to have a substantially larger group of STEM fellows participating in the program. And I think that's an important development um, because that's such an area of need. Um, uh, the really great results is uh, about 40% of these fellows are actually obtaining UC faculty appointments. 70% um, uh, obtain uh, ladder rank faculty appointments in, in, you know, in institutions including UC. Um, of that 70%, about 80% are in Research One universities. So I think that's a, a really um, nice success rate. Many of the 30% who don't go on to faculty appointments are actually in fields where you have to do more than one postdoc, and they're actually going on to other uh, postdoc appointments. Um, the other uh, success story is that since the hiring incentive in 2003, we have over 100. It's actually now creeping up. If With this year's hires, uh, Coming into the group, it's getting up close to 110 new UC faculty. And of the first uh, 52 eligible, 51 have received tenure. So that's an over 95% tenure rate for this group. So I'm uh, not going to, I, you know, there's many reasons for that kind of a record. Um, we bring in fabulous scholars, and I'm going to turn the mic over now to uh, our two wonderful program participants. Um, Desiree, are you going to come next? Dr. Widmore? And then after that, um, Dr. Zandi, and um, they'll be able to tell you uh, their own perspectives on uh, why they think the program worked. Uh, thank you, everyone. Um, thank you, Sheila, for introducing me. 
So uh, as she mentioned, I'm a postdoc uh, at UC Berkeley right now, a president's postdoc. I'm actually a UC chancellor's postdoc at UC Berkeley, which is essentially the same program. Um, so first about me, I'm, uh, I'm from the Antelope Valley. I don't know if any of you guys know where that is. Um, <laughs> it's on the other side of the mountains back here. Um, I'm the oldest of eight children, and I helped to raise them all, and I'm happy to say that most of them are in college now, so that's a good thing. Um, I started at community college um, because there was really no mentoring in the Antelope Valley. Basically, everyone there was encouraged to join the military. Um, So we had recruiters probably at least once or twice a month in our senior classrooms uh, to recruit us to the Air Force or the Navy or the Army or somewhere, but not college. So I wasn't aware of what my opportunities were graduating from high school. So I just went to community college, and I actually loved it there. Um, And from there, I transferred to UCLA and got my bachelor's degree in um, chemical engineering. And I did chemistry research uh, with Dr. Lin at UCLA, and he was kind of the first mentor uh, in that sense, like as a research mentor to me. And he encouraged me a significant amount, and I don't think that I would be where I am right now if it wasn't for him. So those of you who are from UCLA, if you can tell him I said hi, that'd be great. Um, He's amazing. And so, you know, he encouraged me to go to graduate school, and he encouraged me in so many different ways. And so I went to UC Irvine for my PhD uh, for chemical and material physics, and I had two advisors, um, Dr. Potma and Dr. Abkarian in the chemistry department. Um, And there I had some issues with mentoring with them. Um, They were very different from each other, and they were very different from me. Um, So sometimes I would, you know, fight with one and then go talk to the other one, which was kind of (laughs) useful to have two mentors in that sense. Um, And then sometimes, you know, they would just disagree over everything, and then I was in the middle, and that didn't really help. Um, But luckily for me, I was part of the AGET program, Uh, at Irvine. And so through that, I met uh, lots of people in the graduate division, including um, Dean Leslie, who's here at our table. And uh, I was a part of the um, advisory board for diversity, um, the advisory council for diversity at UC Irvine. And through that, I met several professors on campus, and I was able to kind of see what the climate was about diversity and about mentoring on campus. And through that, I found out about this fellowship, which is absolutely amazing. And I was encouraged to apply, but because of my issues with my mentors, my publishing uh, rate was not that high. So I went to the SOCNES conference um, my junior year. Well, it's not a junior year, I guess, my fifth year of grad school. And uh, I went to a, um, what's it called, a panel, a discussion about the fellowship. And there I met Sheila O'Rourke, who's amazing. Um, And I approached her and I told her, I'm really interested in this fellowship, but I really don't think I'm a candidate because I don't have the papers. You know, I don't have the publications. But since I've been in community college, I've been dedicated to mentoring and I've been dedicated to increasing diversity. So those are my bonuses, you know. Can I apply? And she said, you should definitely apply. I would not worry about it. Like, you're the perfect candidate. And I still was kind of skeptical. And so I was worried 
that when I graduated with my PhD, I would not be able to find a postdoc because I didn't have publications. I had one, and then I had a, two more that I had written that my advisor either never published or gave away to someone else to publish. So I applied, and I said, if I don't get this fellowship, it's a sign that I'm not supposed to be in, in academia. You know, But I got the fellowship. <laughs> so uh, that was amazing, and it kind of was my extra motivation to go on, you know. So I did, and now I'm up at Berkeley, and my mentor is the exact opposite of what I had in grad school. He's amazing, and he's, um, he's a very strong mentor, and he believes in kind of making sure that you understand where you want to be so that he can help you get there. And he's well known um, for many of his uh, students, previous students and postdocs, uh, they go on to any position that they want. They can be faculty members. They can go into industry. Um, either way, he supports them fully in whatever they choose to do, which I really appreciate. And he told me he couldn't be here today because he has to sit in on a, um, an oral exam. So, you know, he asked me, should I go to this talk? Because I really feel that, you know, this is a, a group of people that I haven't had the chance to talk with yet, and I think it would be really important. And I said, well, what do you think about it? And he said, well, you know... I hate to disappoint these students because these students work so hard for their oral exam and then we have to move it back. And I said, you know, just stay. So he did. And, um, but he told me, and I quote, that this program is the best program that the UC system has kept going, period. And he used an analogy similar to what Dr. Malcolm talked about, the Rooney Rule. Uh, he said that that's one of the best part of this program is that it puts people out there, students that you would never have noticed otherwise, because they're just kind of, they fall aside. And so you can see these students, and you see how great they are, and you can bring them in for postdocs, and then they end up, you know, becoming faculty members at really strong universities. Uh, so he was, he's a huge proponent of this program, and I'm his, I'm not sure if I'm his second or third uh, postdoc from this program, but I can say the postdoc before me who had the program is now a professor at the University of New Mexico, um, and he just started his uh, professorship last year, so that's a good thing. Um, and so I just wanted to say that the program has been absolutely um, wonderful. You know, we have these retreats that Sheila was talking about twice a year, so we have one which has everyone in the whole entire program, and then we have one... Uh, you know, on each campus separately, and which is coming up actually this month at Berkeley. Um, and it's great because it allows you to talk with the other uh, postdocs and see, you know, where their backgrounds are from and see what they're doing. And we can actually communicate with each other and help each other plan for our future uh, careers. And it's awesome because I get to meet, you know, all of you. I get to come here. Uh, so that's really all I have to say about the program. And um, I think it's wonderful. And so now, uh, thank you. Now we're going to have uh, Professor oh, I've didn't, Arroyo. Okay. Oh, yeah. Arroyo Sorry. <laughs> <You> <laughs> From physics to, here. Yeah. So thank you very much, Desiree. It was a pleasure to get to meet you today. And now for the final speaker. And after the three are done, then they're going to come up to the front and be a real panel so that you can ask questions to them. So our final speaker before questions is Dr. Roya Zandi, who is an associate professor in physics and was part of the PPFP program. Okay. So. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, so thank you for the invitation. So I was asked to talk about my experience with um, UC postdoctoral fellowship. So I am an associate professor at the Department of Physics and Astronomy at UCR. And um, I am a former uh, UC President's uh, Postdoctoral Fellow at the Department of Phys Chemistry and Biochemistry at UCLA. Um, I also got my PhD at UCLA, and when I think about those years, the most challenging part of getting the PhD uh, was, um, it's my daughter. <laughs> so she was born in 1998, and I got my PhD in 2001. It was so difficult. I mean, Desiree said she raised eight kids. I don't know how she did. But for me, raising her when I was studying, um, especially, I don't know, in physics, I was, um, we live with a problem. So we keep, it's not only when I'm sitting at the desk, when I was walking, when I was cooking, when I was driving, I was thinking about the, the problem. And after her birth, she was, in my mind all the time, nursing her, thinking about her sleep and everything else. And then, how could I do physics when I have to take care of her? And that was a real challenge for me. And I honestly couldn't do it without this guy who's sitting there actually, and I didn't know that he's here today. I put his picture. Um, Professor Joseph Rodnick, um, he is, uh, he is uh, in the Department of Physics and Astronomy. I mean, right now, he's the Dean of Physical Sciences. And honestly, I didn't know he, he would be here last night when I put his picture. And um, the reason I put his picture, because I remember his encouragement. When I was disappointed, when I thought I was not good as and competent like other students because I had to take care of a baby and I had to stay um, and I couldn't go to all the seminars. And he was telling me, Roya, you're doing fine. So he gave me some time to think about the problems. He, I mean, it was a slow process, especially at the beginning, but he understood me. He, um, he let me, you know, go with my pace. And it was in 2001 that I was almost done. And I told him, you know, I'm not as competent as other students because I was focused on raising a child. And he said, no, you are fine. And then he talked with, the, my, um, with Bill Gelbar, and he said, why don't you, um, you know, support Roya to apply for a postdoctoral fellowship? So maybe then, and meanwhile, he, had, he could support me for six months, and if I got accepted in, uh, for the fellowship, then I could continue. And I didn't have as many papers either. Actually, I had only one published paper then. So Bill accepted, and he became my, my mentor, and then we applied for the UC postdoctoral fellowship, and that was a turning point in my life. So I got a fellowship, and it was again at UCLA, so that was a disadvantage for my field, but UC president, uh, the fellowship gave me $5,000, so for me it was a good thing, so I could travel, I could get uh, meet other people in other conferences, and also he was extremely encouraging, saying that you should apply, don't worry, things will become better. And little by little, I had learned what to do. And then during all the, when I was a UC postdoc, I met with my third mentor, um, 
Mehran Carter at MIT, so he also was very encouraging, and we talked about collaboration. And after um, I was done with UC postdoctoral fellowship, then I started, a, I was his postdoc for another two years. And then after all these things, three of them kept encouraging me to apply for a faculty position. I said, I'm not good enough. I haven't been, you know, I haven't, I couldn't be focused as like other students, and I wasn't um, competent. So they forced me to apply for a faculty <laughs> position. And I got 22 interviews. And I got so many job offers. And um, I was because I had, actually my husband was in LA. That was the reason I did my postdoc in LA. And also I wanted to stay in LA. And um, that's why, and when UCR had a, an opening, that was a great opportunity for me so I could stay in LA. But I mean, I could go anywhere else. I had so many offers, and I couldn't go actually to all the interviews that I got because it was, I mean, it was two months, and I had to go to 22 interviews. Most of them are in the East Coast. So, but bottom line, I don't think that if Joe was so encouraging that tell me you are good, you are fine, or Bill or Mehran, they didn't keep telling me. And then UC Postdoc told me, okay, you don't have enough paper. We give you enough time because you had a baby, we give you enough time so you can catch up. So all these things were so important. And then among these things, you know, the fall meeting, these are what Sheila told you that they talk about. I think the balancing of academic life and family was the one that helped me the most because that was my problem. And then I saw other women talking about their own experiences. That was so useful. And the next thing that was very um, important, it was... Um, academic retreat, where I got the feedback about my presentations. And I saw, because I had such a slow self-confidence then, I thought that I was bad. And then getting UC faculty telling me, no, you're doing fine. I just needed to hear that. And I couldn't do it without these, my mentors and the program and Sheila, who's sitting there. Thank you. Thank you very much, Roya. So um, Roya is actually a faculty member, and that means that she teaches, and she, her class is at 1210, so she may leave, but we're going to try and keep her for a little bit and have all three panel members come up, and um, hopefully you will engage them in conversation about what they had to say. So. Hi, Mo Stanton from UC Davis. Uh, Roy, I just, I'm really glad you made your presentation uh, because I think as w women, showing, you know, dealing with having a family and, you know, raising kids or having kids and dealing with your grad career, your postdoc, et cetera, that's a form of cultural diversity that this program really needs to support as well because there is no question it slows you down. Uh, I mean, I think we're we're kidding ourselves if we think that's not true. I speak from experience. I had six babies in my lab in the last six years, <laughs> so uh, uh, it's it's a burden, uh, and uh, it really helps that that's acknowledged as something we also need to represent in the academy. So, because so many of the women you know who do enter the academy as uh, assistant professors don't have kids. 
Thank you. Um, I agree. I had my second child actually when I was uh, an assistant professor and had its own challenges. But, <laughs> but at, at, today I was focused on how to get actually a faculty position. But right, we have to acknowledge these challenges. So I just want to say the president's postdoc program is like the incubator for the UC faculty. We have so many babies in the program. It's fabulous. They come to the retreat. I wanted to, um, uh, first of all, thank you all for, sh for sharing your stories with us. And I want to go back to something that um, Dr. Malcolm talked about, and that is, uh, are we the right university for the right time uh, to do what it is we say we want to do uh, structurally. And this has to do, Sheila, more with you probably than the other two um, folks sitting there at the moment. And that has to do with this notion that the University of California is you know, the premier public research university in the world. And one of the things about this has been at least the lore and the mythology and the mystery of it all is that it is not good for us to hire our own people. And I'm thinking, how do we sort of say, okay, you know, we have the undergraduate student diversity, we have the diversity in the graduate pipeline, and we're producing all these wonderful PhDs, some of them even in the doctoral programs, uh, the postdoc programs, why would we want to give them away to everybody else? And how do we sort of look at policies and practices that continue, maybe not at the postdoc level, but down in the programs and the departments, that this is a viable pool of people who, as the question, we have trained them to be our colleagues, then why are we not more so embracing them as our colleagues? And how do we, how could a project like this help us engage that, that kind of question? Um, you know, we actually address that in our selection process, that we instruct the evaluators not to disadvantage an application if the applicant indicates they want to do their postdoc on the same campus as their graduate degree because of family ties to the region. So, you know, we, we do actually try to make that a conscious part of our process. I think it absolutely disadvantages um, the groups that are underrepresented in higher education. Um, and the other thing is, is actually one of the strengths of the system is that we're a 10-campus system, and this program allows people to do their postdoc on one campus and get hired somewhere else. And, and we've had great success hiring, but very few of those people are hired at the same campus they did their postdoc on. So UC can actually capitalize by um, moving people, you know, going from campus to campus. So I'm, I'm button line, but um, to, to add to that, um, because I think it's a really important point Yolanda makes. So, so the program, you had the statistic that 40% of the fellows go on to become UC faculty members. Um, but outside of the program, we also do a lot of hiring among our campuses, which I think is a wonderful part of this system. So 20% of all faculty hires uh, have UC terminal degrees. So we do this really well, and if we work it right, it will help us meet our goals. Are you ready for the next question? This is more of a nuts and bolts question. 
Um, and I'm Barbara Walker, a director of research development at UC Santa Barbara. So I'm wondering how many applications you get each year, how many postdocs you give, and then um, I help a lot of graduate students write postdoc applications. So I'm wondering um, what, what do you see as being the main differences between the applications that you fund and then the applications that you don't fund? And as an extension, how can we go down to the next level of our underrepresented students and help them get up into that group that actually is successful in getting postdocs? Um, those are great questions. We, we get about 500 applications, and depending on the level of funding, we fund between 10 to 20. So it actually varies. Um, but we are willing. We can work with your campus. You have a lot of people who have been through the program, and we can do a workshop on your campus for your graduate students about how to do their application and get the folks who have come through the program to talk to them directly. Um, the thing that makes uh, the applications uh, successful, I think, is uh, in addition to an outstanding research proposal, an well-articulated statement about their contributions to diversity that we really look for people who have a genuine track record like like these two wonderful scholars and uh, that's that that makes the difference so my question is sort of a devil's advocate kind of question because I, I consider myself sort of a true believer in this program as many in this room probably are and by the way, I'm Susan Rivera from UC Davis, and I chair the uh, Affirmative Action Diversity Committee there um, of the Academic Senate. And um, when I speak to colleagues about this, not just this, but other kinds of programs, um, but particularly about the postdoctoral fellowship program, one of the, uh, I'm, I don't know if it's too strong to say objections that you hear, but one of the worries that you hear people talk about is that there will actually be some unconscious bias or some kind of um, repercussion from having come up through this sort of privileged kind of pathway, and that, in fact, you'll see negative consequences of that um, uh, down the line when you come up for tenure and for other things. Oh, well, this individual, sure, they're okay, but they got that leg up. Um, and and I, I, I don't share this concern, but, but how do we address that with our colleagues who have those kinds of concerns? And I also wanted to ask uh, the recipients if you've ever experienced any such thing. Um. I told you I, I had um, 22 interviews, which is uh, <laughs> <laughs> so nobody could tell me I got this position because of the of the incentive or anything else. Because and I chose UCR because it was um, close to UCLA, and I, I like the faculties uh, here. Um, I didn't have this problem, so because of, and I think any any of the fellows, if they show that they are. They are wanted somewhere else, getting an other offers, so that would erase the, the doubts. I mean, that's my experience. Um, so I haven't had any issues with necessarily being a woman and having the fellowship, but being a minority and a double minority at that, I have had some students in the lab that I'm in now kind of say things that are like, oh, well, you know, she has a diversity fellowship, so, you know. So there's kind of this stigma to the word diversity, period. Um, but, you know, they got over it because I actually work with them and they see that I'm not just a diversity postdoc. You know, I'm a postdoc, period. So, um, you know, you just have to kind of push through it, you know, deal with it. Yeah. Um, 
I actually love Dr. Malcolm's statement that affirmative action is not bringing people in who are underprepared. It's taking a look at people that we have overlooked. And I think the strongest answer to your colleagues is the rate of tenure is 95% as compared with 70% among UC faculty generally. So it, it almost demonstrates that we have to be twice as good to be considered good enough. You know, once these scholars got into the pool, they are outperforming, you know, everybody else. So, Hi, my name is Sharon Walker. I'm faculty here in, at UC Riverside. I guess I want to make a, just a general comment, which is, are we doing enough? Because clearly in the STEM fields, a postdoc is now really a requirement. Um, I came in without a postdoc. I was very unusual. It's pretty much unheard of now. Uh, and we, we're seeing here that that extra mentoring, that extra stage of professional development is critical for success uh, and an important sort of entryway in, into the pipeline, especially if there's been delays due to family development and so on. So we have to support our postdocs. However, this is a time where granting agencies are giving us less and less money. My career award from NSF cannot support a postdoc. It barely covers one PhD student and basically no supplies. So how do we support these future postdocs and make our future faculty members if our funding can't support them? So I guess my statement is, I think UC needs to do more. And I'm glad to hear UDOF put more money behind it. But I think we need to do something, both at the campus level and the system-wide level, because you all aren't enough. Clearly, we need you. We need this kind of program. So I don't know. I guess I'd like your comment on that. But this isn't enough. You know, I actually think the people in this room are probably better equipped to answer that question, and so I hope that can be on the table for discussion throughout the rest of the day. Um, I don't know if either of you want to talk about what else we should be doing. You know, and also, I, I keep hammering on graduate admissions and graduate education, too. You know, nobody can get a postdoc if they don't have a PhD, and the kind of selection criteria that are being imposed at the level of graduate selection I think are really disserving us. That there is very narrow focus on numbers, focus on, you know, the existing networks. And so, you know, pulling undergraduates into graduate education is really important in STEM fields. Hi, I'm Dave Havdan from UCLA. So I will pass along Thank your compliments. I'm also an alum from the University of New Mexico. It's an outstanding institution. <laughs> Everyone's a lobo, woof, woof, woof. Um, uh, I'm a professor. Uh, I teach a, a class at UCLA called Scientific Integrity, and one of the, for the graduate students. And it's all, one of the sessions that I give is on mentoring. And, you know, I've heard this morning a lot about mentors and you've and especially the two of you have talked about how much your mentors meant to you and what they did for you I'd like to turn the question around a little differently what can I tell students or teach students to be good mentees how can I I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to students about saying you know why don't you talk with this person or this person, and they say, I don't want to reveal anything to this individual about my fears or concerns or how do I communicate to younger people 
And, and I'm usually pretty good at talking to young people. But how, what, what qualities can I stress to students to make them good mentees? I know there's bad mentors. There's a couple of guys here I've seen <laughs> that are trying to learn. This guy over here I've known for a while, but I'm more worried about the students. Okay. Um, I would say one thing that's important as a mentee is to kind of be open-minded when you're listening to what your mentor is telling you. Because sometimes mentors are very constructive in the feedback and sometimes they're not. And they only tell you the negative things. So then the mentee can just be completely overwhelmed and feel like they're not good enough and they're not smart enough. But if they just, you know, turn off a filter and say, okay, what is he actually saying? He's saying, you know, I need to improve on these sorts of things. That's basically what he's telling me. And the things that he's not complaining about, those are the things that I'm doing good at. So, you know, you have to kind of understand where the mentoring is coming from. And another thing is, like, you can, you know, seek mentorship everywhere you go in all facets. You know, you can find it uh, at the grocery store. You know, you can find it in the classroom. You can find it from your professors. You can find it from counselors. But you can find it from friends and family as well, you know. And so you just have to always, you have to tell them to always think about who can help you uh, believe in yourself and believe that you can achieve what you want to achieve. That's what I would say. I don't know any magic about it. I guess each person is different and, you know, they have to learn. I have this problem with my teenage daughter. I, <laughs> she doesn't listen to me. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things we teach our, our uh, postdoc fellows as part of the programming is some notion of, like, drawing concentric circles of people that are closer to you and, and then farther and farther and farther out and thinking about which issues to bring to which people. If you're at a conference and you get the opportunity to meet a Nobel Prize winner, that's not the time to talk about your issues with procrastination. <laughs> right? Right? You, you know, so, so to really, but, but don't not go up and shake hands with that person. You know, so teach them. This is your elevator talk for the luminary in your field that you're lucky enough to be next to in the lunch line. And then this is the kind of things you bring to maybe other faculty scholars in your field that are doing similar work. And then this is what you is appropriate for your um, advisor and, and mentor. And this is what might be better to talk about at your church or at home or in informal social, you know, if you're having a mental health breakdown, go to a physician. You know, so, and that kind of just strategizing around what mentoring and assistance to get where gives, I think, gives people a really nice blueprint. Hi, I'm Renee Navarro, and I am the Vice Chancellor of Diversity and Outreach at UCSF. And I want to thank Sheila and the panelists for sharing this important program with us. One of the challenges as we start to talk about how do we change systems and supporting a program and maybe multiplying, expanding a program like that, like this one, is to look at the hiring incentive that is not available to the health science campuses, mine being one of them. Um, if we start to explore, we have similar needs um, for diversifying our faculty. Uh, basic science faculty as well as our, our clinical science faculty. And so I would love to have a discussion that actually includes 
um, in includes the health science campuses in a discussion about those programs. Great. Maybe we can have that uh, on the agenda at some upcoming health sciences deans meeting. So I was hoping to catch Roya before she left. I see she just snuck out. Um, but Sheila, maybe you can answer this question. And I love the whole idea of the President's Postdoctoral Fellowship. I can't wait to get one. Uh, <laughs> I had one apply, but she didn't get it. Um, but it's a wonderful program. And when I came to UC Berkeley, I came as a postdoctoral fellow through the Robert Wood Johnson Health and Society Scholars Program. And one of the biggest challenges that I faced as a new assistant professor was that I had not, in graduate school nor in my postdoc, been trained about how to do anything outside of research and teaching. At Hopkins, we had a teaching practicum, but for years, all you're focused on is your research. So the immediate demands of balancing research productivity with being a double minority and all of the demands you're going to get on your time from students because of just what you look like and what you represent to them, which is something that a lot of students probably don't have access to. Um, you know, just balancing the research, teaching, and service. And so the question I was going to ask, and I didn't remember if it was in your list, is if that's something that the postdoc program is already doing, and if not, just to encourage that that's something that you might want to add to your training portfolio for them, because I think that I'm not alone, you know, as my, my, in my experience as an assistant professor, and I was just curious if Roya, I wanted to hear from her, and maybe stories that you've gotten from past postdocs, if that's been a challenge, and if so, how they've navigated through those challenges in their new um, kind of entree into the professoriate. Yeah, um, those are really important issues. One of the things we do is for our postdocs who become UC faculty, we invite them back to our annual retreat and our, and our professional development events so that they have a chance to stay within that support network and certainly conversations about balance and, and managing the multiple demands of an, of an academic life, I hope, are part of... Um, the kinds of things we do. Maybe you can talk about uh, things you might have learned or absorbed in some of the meetings. Oh, okay. Well, I've learned lots about um, how to have kids and stay in, and stay in the academia because there are several children uh, who come to the retreats and several professors who have children, both men and women. Um, and, I mean, as far as balancing, like I've always, I kind of mastered that during my graduate school because I made sure mentoring and outreach is really important to me, so I made sure to always have some of that going on during my education because I feel like it, I need it kind of to balance everything else. Um, but I've learned, I've been able to kind of talk with a lot of the professors who were past postdocs at this retreat. And, you know, there are several social events like during the evening so we have workshops throughout the day we get presentations throughout the day and then in the evening we have just social hour and we just get to discuss and talk with all of the professors who have gone through the program and kind of see where the pitfalls are and you know where they've struggled and they you know mentor us basically on how to keep going and so having the professors who've been through the program come back every year is probably one of the most beneficial parts of the retreat because they're really extremely helpful I call that mentoring strategy, put them in a room and close the door. <laughs> okay. That's essentially what happens. Hi, my name's Faye Crosby. I'm from UC Santa Cruz. Um, actually, either one of you, um, the question about being a good mentee got me 
you're, uh, you obviously, have, well, actually, everybody in the room, we've all been good mentees. We wouldn't be sitting in this room if we hadn't been. But there are times when you're getting good advice and you have to be non-defensive and take it, even though it may not be what you want to hear. And there are times when you're getting bad advice and you have to know to shut out the naysayer. So do you have any tips or strategies about how we can distinguish between when we're getting that good advice and when we're getting the bad advice that might even be from somebody who loves us and is well-intentioned, or it might be from somebody else? And how do we tell when we really ought to pay attention to that different way and when we really ought to just block it out? Um, So for me... I have gotten tons of bad advice throughout my uh, career so far. (laughs) And uh, luckily, I have a huge network of, you know, friends and mentors and people who I know care about me and my career. So if I have one person who I really respect and he gives me some advice that I'm kind of questioning, you know, I discuss it with the rest of my network. And I say, what do you think about this? You know, should I apply for this job? Should I apply for this fellowship? Um, Because, you know, these are the benefits... These are the cons. And I find that, you know, the more people I ask, the more answers I get. And it kind of helps me to decide, you know, which is best for me. And so because I know that they care about me and I know that they're trying to help me, um, you know, kind of it can be a majority rule or it can just be what I feel is right. You know, I have to decide that uh, essentially. But I think having a large network has helped me significantly and, I mean, I have, you know, undergraduates. I have my little brothers and sisters. I have graduate students who I went to school with. Um, I have uh, people at other universities who I've gone to speak at their university just to talk about my science, and they've contacted me, and I talk to them about what I'm doing. I have professors. I have the graduate division at UC Irvine. I have, um, you know, my, my undergrad mentor. I have just tons of people. I have my postdocs that work in the lab with me. So every decision I make, I kind of try to weigh it to see, you know, and I try it out on people to figure out what, what they think about it, if it's questionable. You know. Yeah, I, I couldn't add to that. I think it's all about the size of the network. I, I always say I do everything by committee. <laughs> and, and so, so we encourage you know, our postdocs to really get lots of input from many different places. Well, I think that ties us to our previous session where we had to fill out our own network. And so I thank you very much for serving on the panel. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.